Welcome to the Delve Into Money podcast. I am your host, Curtis Haney. This is the personal finance podcast where we attempt to demystify money by reviewing books and applying what we learn to our own financial journeys. Thank you so much for listening to Delve Into Money today. Today, we're going to be talking about inflation. We did another Twitter spaces on December 2nd, and we had a nice panel, so I'll link all of those in the show notes. But without further ado, we're going to talk about inflation and what it means for your budget, and we really dive deep on this topic, so I hope that you enjoy it. We today are going to be talking about inflation, and we are a group of podcasters that uh, just have connected and thought that as podcasters, Spaces would be a great place to continue that discussion that we have on our podcast. And so uh, we have uh, four of us here, but it's a, it's a mighty group of a few more than that. So we'll see a rotating panel many of the times. Uh, we have Lauren, Adulting is Easy, Justin, and Alex. So before we get started on our actual topic, I want to go around the horn and have everyone kind of introduce themselves. And we may kind of do shorter introductions here in a minute, too, as we kind of get rolling. So, uh, Lauren, let's have you start. Thanks, Curtis. Hey, everybody. My name is Lauren Keen Amund. I am located in the Tampa Bay area. I am 32. My husband is 29. We just crossed the $1 million net worth mark, and we're both passionate about personal finance. I do have a finance degree in business. I have a graduate from personal financial planning from Boston University. And our portfolio consists of 50% real estate, 40% stocks, 10% private equity in my husband's engineering firm, and half a percent in crypto. I know that equals 100.5%, but I didn't recalculate everything. So that's pretty close to what our portfolio currently is like. Um, my podcast is Adulting is Easy. can be found on my website at realadultingiseasy.com. So that's basically it. Glad to be here. Thanks, Justin. You want to introduce yourself? Yeah, no worries. Good evening, everybody. My name is Justin Nackpill. I am based out of Chicago and a fellow podcaster with everyone here. So um, a little bit about myself. Um, I am in the technology sector, uh, primarily in sales in a B2B capacity, uh, like Lauren. And if you hear that in the background, I have yet. <laughs> um, and uh, a little bit about our investing philosophy. It's primarily in good old index fund, well as traditional vehicles such as 401ks, IRAs, brokerage accounts, etc. And just glad to talk about why um, our goods are getting more expensive to buy. So um, we'll pass it along to Alex and Curse. Yeah, Justin, On I, I get the young kids now because I have a three-week and two-day-old, and my wife is actually on a trip to Target right now, and she asked me if I wanted to uh, leave the baby here or if she wanted, or if she should take take him with her. And I said – that could either go really well or really poorly. So <laughs> I'll be the test bed, man. Yeah. Uh, Alex, go ahead with your intro. 
<laughs> sure thing. I guess I'm going to be the quiet one. I might have dogs barking, but uh, no kids. Uh, not yet, anyway. Don't tell my fiance. She might try to use that as an excuse. Uh, anyway, my name is Alex. I am the host of the Main Street Finance Podcast. I have a degree in finance. I currently work in banking as a credit analyst, so I look at uh, rich people's tax returns and the tax returns of their business and get to tell them how to do their stuff better. Uh, <laughs> um, I mostly invest in index funds. I also have some dividend investing fun money accounts that I like to play with. Uh, I'm kind of just getting started. I'm actually 26 as compared to some of the others on here. So I'm kind of on the earlier side of the spectrum as far as people who are putting out content as well as, uh, you know, being a banker. So that's me. Cool. Thanks, Alex. I guess you're the young gun here in this group. So that's, that's awesome. Uh, thanks everyone for jumping on. Uh, we are gonna, well, I actually, I need to introduce myself. I forgot to introduce myself last time and I was about to do it again. So, um, I am Curtis Haney and I am a, uh, podcaster now technically, and I'm here on Twitter, uh, in my day job in my real life, uh, I'm married to my wife and we just had a brand new little baby. And so we're making that life adjustment right now. Uh, in my day job, I am the CFO of a civil engineering firm and have been uh, in that capacity in a couple of different companies for the past 10 or so years. And so uh, I am familiar as we set prices year to year. Uh, we have to take into account inflation and market economics. And so this is a number that I've consistently tracked for a lot of time. And so it's, it's something that's always interested me and something that I've always wanted to dig into a little bit more. It looks like we have Clint joining us as well. Clint, we're doing introductions. We're, I was just wrapping that up. Uh, do you want to jump in and do an introduction yourself? Uh, sure, you bet. Uh, I am joining as long as I can. I'm heading to a, a hockey game. Otherwise, I would have been, uh, been on with you guys tonight. I am the host of the Pursuit of Learning podcast and have met Curtis Lauren and Justin uh, through that route on uh, some of their podcasts, and uh, I've met Curtis through Twitter. By day, I am a CFO of a real estate development company, and inflation is big on our minds, starting to plan for it, what to do about it, and how it will impact our real estate, both from a development perspective, we're a developer, and from an income property perspective. And that also impacts me as a landlord like Lauren is. Back to you, Curtis. Great. Thanks, Clint. And, and we'll take you as long as we have you. So, and feel free. Uh, I'm going to kind of do an introduction to a little bit of uh, inflation and, and we'll be passing the mic around uh, along the way. And then once we get through that introduction, we're going to talk through some questions. If any listeners have some questions, feel free to, to DM those. Uh, you can DM to Lauren uh, just to get them in one place, and she can read those, uh, or you can request the mic as well. So as you can tell, we're a diverse group here uh, with all different perspectives on inflation, but for really all of us, uh, 
we are, this is the first inflationary event, significant event that we've seen in our lifetime. I went back and looked at some inflation data and inflation had briefly gone over 5% in 2008. But the last time that it has risen this high was back in the early 1980s. And right now, inflation, uh, last I looked, was at 6.2% using the Consumer Pricing Index uh, for the U.S. So we can jump into what, what that means for, and that's what we're going to talk about, but inflation is just the rate that the currency is changing in value. And so as the inflation numbers up, that means the value of the currency is going down and the level of goods and services are going to be rising. When I, when I give the 6.2% number, you, you may be asking, what does 6.2% in inflation mean? And that means the Fed sets a target where we want to be in inflation. And the, fled, the Fed's, the Fed's, that's, that's a good one. The Fed's inflation rate is, uh, target is 2%. And for the last 100 years, uh, we have averaged just over 3% inflation. So at this point, we are doubling the inflation rate that uh, we typically see. The numbers being used that I've already referenced are based off the consumer price index, what the numbers that you typically see. So as we jump in, there's, there's multiple types of inflation. And, and obviously, we've seen this with COVID-19 is one of the main pushers of the inflation now. But there's, there's inflation that has to deal with demand issues, which is a lot of what you see with uh, goods stacked up, uh, not being able to get delivered, delays on delivery of items. Uh, we had a, a utility room cabinet set that we were supposed to get in August and did not get here until the week before the baby arrived. So we weren't even able to install it and it's still sitting in the back of my SUV. So, so we are feeling that a little bit. Has anyone else here on the panel had experiences with kind of this uh, delays or, or increases in pricing because of demand and supply mismatches? Well, I can tell you for certain that I was planning on buying a new car, or rather a newer car, but um, that has uh, definitely been pushed back. Yeah, Curtis, and for me, um, you know, as I mentioned earlier in the introductions, I work for a, a, a technology uh, company, and a lot of it is hardware. So we, we have seen a pushback in component supply. And as you shared as well, uh, manufacturing, I, I think this inflation inflationary period is, is impacting all of us, not only from, as Alex, Alex mentioned, of, of buying a car, but it's it's just delaying um, just the global supply chain and even just the, the pace and frequency of, of receiving goods, um, either from a macroeconomic level and even just us as everyday consumers. So, Yeah, Curtis, same from a macroeconomic perspective, items that are coming out of China or in other foreign countries, let's take things as simple as glazing uh, are significantly impacting the development and building process. 
the other one that was massively hit here in Canada over the last year, and, and other people have probably seen this, is lumber prices. They went up significantly. So we had lumber up, concrete up, drywall up. So everyone looks at the uh, rising cost of housing and thinks that's all pure profit. It's not pure profit because the cost to build those homes is up significantly year over year. Yeah, and I had um, I've had some experience with this in my personal life and some of it in my professional life. We were going to a conference in October and we placed orders for like T-shirts and like a literature rack and things like that to, you know, be in the expo hall. And they allowed us to place these orders and then they like just didn't come. So that was one thing. And that's always like a mad dash at the end. Right. And then personally, I have done two roofs in the last six months and um, I haven't gotten the wood bill for the second one, but the first one, the whole roof was 12,000 and the additional lumber was six. So we've had experience with that. And I am eternal. We did the full renovation of our 120 year old home uh, a year ago. Definitely. Yeah. So, so everyone here has had experiences that are inflation related experiences. I can tell you uh, it's, it's been interesting researching and looking at this because you see how um, the increasing in prices, especially in wood, uh, really affected that demand temporarily. And then when the prices have gone back down, demand has ramped back up. And so we see those ebbs and flows as, as it goes. One of the things that I've seen in my professional career is you know, civil engineers are building uh, are designing things for cities and towns and government. And we have seen that cities will allocate money for projects that they want to get completed. And when they allocate that money, by the time they get the, the quote to now build that project that's been designed, it's blowing outside out of their budgets and they have, they, are now having to go back for additional funds or put projects on hold because the construction cost has gone through the roof. And so uh, it's, it's not only affecting uh, personally, like, like we've all said, and, uh, but it's, it's, it's affecting stuff that uh, projects built in the coming years. Uh, so if you have infrastructure type stuff that's going to be relieving uh, stress on the system are going to be allowing for more capacity, those projects could potentially not be happening. And Clint, I think, referenced that in his uh, piece as well. Clint, you'd briefly raised your hand. I don't know if you still had. You can jump in and then we'll go to Alex. You, you bet. I, I wanted to quickly highlight something that I think is really as we talk inflation, and I know it affects most of our panel. It also affects uh, CD. I see you there. I see you, FI Squirrel. Uh, Tom, I see you. And what I'm thinking about in my mind is equity. And most of us are investors. Most of us own real estate. And when you think of what we're seeing with inflation, it's hammering a lot of people on the bottom of the socioeconomic curve. 
while at the same time really benefiting a lot of us. So if we own real estate, if we own a decent stock portfolio, like I know FI does, CD, if we own other assets, let's call it crypto, where people are uh, putting some of their excess cash that's being printed into, um, we're all benefiting from it. So some of us are getting hurt by inflation in certain areas, while others of us are significantly benefiting to the upside. And what does that mean for society as equality worsens? That's something I think about a lot. Alex, you can go ahead if you if you want to. Um... Yeah, absolutely. I was just going to go in there and back up both what Clint have been saying. I can tell you all from the bank side, um, basically every week we get loans in committee and contractors, builders, they're all getting squeezed hard. Um, there have been a couple companies that have been in a lot of trouble because they don't have like escalation causes in their contracts where, hey, if the price of materials goes up, um, your price is going to go up. So you've got builders and contractors that are locked in the projects. I had a company that had signed contracts in mid-2019 that was, hey, you pay us this much, we're going to do this project. Well, then 2020 happens, everything got pushed back. And once everything was back online, well, now you've got, you know, lumber from $11 to $60. Or I think at the time I was putting up a fence. The the price for each of those kind of squarish support bits that hold up the fence, those were $40 each where I am. And that is just nuts. We've had companies get just absolutely killed with all this inflation and and just price increases i mean that's really all inflation is just prices are going up and it's pinching everybody so i just want to tell y'all i can tell y'all from the commercial side we are seeing a lot of businesses getting pinched by this yeah I, i'm kind of i'm kind of interested to get some additional thoughts with uh what what you said there alex and then what what clint had brought up of this inequality this potential for inequality that is that is out there and I saw uh, an article recently that talked about, uh, despite everything that has gone on, that profits of public companies, uh, profit margins were up significantly uh, during this period. And it's, you know, that, that's a whole different conversation. But I'm curious, you know, public companies are obviously public companies and they they have to report this stuff out there, and uh, we have very, you know, good data or at least reasonable data on what they're doing. And so it's not a good look when people. Uh, it's great that people are getting raises, and I've seen information that the raises are going more to the lower income. So, so their percentage of raise uh, is the first time that they made up ground in a long period of time. But then at the same time, profits are significant profit margins are significantly up so kind of a two-part question and i don't know the answer to this i'm just curious to get other people's thoughts is is that profit margin you know if way gone up but profit margin has gone up even more that means that prices have gone up more than wages uh, were raised and i think that's probably true but there could also be an element of the you know the lagging measure of maybe the wages were raised but not not fully reflected yet 
so that this profit increase was a temporary profit increase. So that's, that's a question kind of on the public front, but then do we think that it's the same way in the private industry or is that a different animal altogether? Uh, Lauren, go ahead. Well, I think at least over the summer, what the Fed was telling us and what we were experiencing were sort of two different things. It felt a little bit like being gaslighted from my perspective, right? That it's transitory, it's transitory, right? And here I am buying two toilets that I bought four of last year. They were $200 last year. They were 250 this year, right? You know, it's just, and it's hard to think, okay, is this company, is American Standard next year going to drop their toilet price back to 200 once I've already accepted that price increase and started to pay it? So I think that's what we're seeing with the public companies. They're not getting squeezed. Their profit margins are not getting squeezed. They're passing all of that on to the consumer. And like Clint was saying, I mean, you know, I think we're all feeling it at the gas pumps. You know, in Florida, there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of stickers on the gas pumps that are very unhappy with the price of gas. Um, I may or may not know people that are putting the stickers on there, but so there's the gas prices. There's also the grocery stores. We are feeling that every day across this country. And, um, you know, Clint certainly let me know what's going on in Canada. But and these are things like Clint said, my real estate is going up in value. My crypto is going up in value. My stocks are going up in value. The people that own none of those things are just paying more for their gas and their groceries because these companies have, have, have just passed on these price increases to people. And we are accepting it because we have accepted that there's inflation. And it's probably not going away. And it's a result of, you know, COVID-19. And we all just have to do our part and, and do what we can. And we're all just dealing with it as, you know, as humans, we're all just trying to get through this. So um, that's just all I really wanted to say, Curtis, is I think they're just passing it on to us. And I don't think, I think they're being transparent about that in their earnings calls as well. I don't think any CEOs are saying, you know, we're eating this ourselves, except maybe Walmart, but everybody else is telling us we're passing it on. Alex, did you still have something or? Oh, yeah, I just don't. I don't know. I feel like leaving the hand up, like in my head, I feel like I, I like to imagine these <laughs> things as like us all sitting in a room somewhere and me sitting there with my hand up for like five minutes straight makes me feel kind of like a jerk. So it's like I put it up and once I, I it's been recognized that my hand was up, it's like, OK, let me go ahead and put my hand back down because I don't like being that guy. <laughs> but uh I do have a couple thoughts that I'd like to sort of float out there. First on the profit margins, the first thing you got to kind of keep in mind is inflation happened, at least in this case, pretty suddenly. So what happens when you have companies that are able to have the pricing power to pass on those higher prices is they had a certain amount of inventory on hand. So when you sell those at the inflated price, you get really huge profit margin. So take those, uh, I know they're not two by four, the, but the bits of wood in a fence that is like the support structure that the rest of the fence kind of sits on. Those were before the pandemic, like maybe $10, $15 each. But after COVID, those are like 40. So if you're Home Depot and you're sitting on 100,000 of these across at every store across your country, or, yeah, at every store across the country, then all of a sudden, that thing that you were making $2 per beam on, now you're making like $37, do not quote me on that math, uh, you're going to get that really huge profit margin right now. 
The problem is when you have to buy and replace those, now all of a sudden your costs have gone up and your margins are going to get pinched. So, of course, right now what we're seeing with public companies is, you know, oh, look, profit margins are better than ever. Well, yeah, it's because they bought in at a certain price for all of their inventory and now they're selling it at a much higher price. Now, the next thing, I, I don't want to go off too much on a rant, but the next kind of comment I want to have is on the inequality. Inequality in this case, especially when it comes to inflation, is it's going to be, inflation's going to be, it's going to hit people unequally. And that's kind of in the name there. And I know that kind of sounds silly, but for people who have assets, people who have stocks, bonds, houses, crypto, uh, personal property, anything, if you have stuff and prices go up, well, you're usually going to ride that wave. The inequality here is people who don't have their 401k, people who don't own their house, people who don't own their cars. Those are the people who are going to get hit the hardest by inflation. The people who have people who are established, they're just going to rise with the tide. You know, raising tide raises all ships. But the people who aren't in a ship are just going to drown. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's, that's a really good point. Justin, uh, you had raised your hand. Go ahead. I, you know, I, I know Tom's in queue and I'll, I'll be brief. Um, you know, one thing that I was going to you know, double back on what Lauren was saying and also what Alex was saying, as well as you know, us as consumers, we've accepted this th this new normal, right? Not only from a, a pandemic perspective and how we operate in society, but now as consumers, right? You know, hitting it on really Main Street. And, you know, one uh, article I was reading today from Gallup was showing that a uh, you know, majority, not a majority, but 45% of U.S. households um, are going to be impacted by this by this inflationary period. And, and they've been... And specifically, they called out households making less than $40,000. And I think it goes to what Alex's point is, is that for, for those investors like ourselves that, you know, we, we clearly are looking long term and we budget and we look at, you know, those the, the financial literacy component. There is a correlation here for those lower income households and how they are going to be negatively impacted by all these higher prices. So I think it's it, it's more of a calling on our behalf to really you know educate, but also you know how can we lift the tide of ensuring some of these other you know more disenfranchised homes learn about emergency funds, learn about you know how to budget and things of that nature, so their impact won't be as as negatively uh, over there. So yeah, for sure. Um, I think it's it's an interesting little sidebar of. Uh, that it's inflation is always going to hit low income households harder than anywhere else. And we saw through COVID-19 is really a unique situation where here in America, and I don't know what happened in Canada, but here in America, we uh, had government assistance that really spiked the savings rate because people were fearful. People didn't know what was coming down the pike. People were for, for the first time in a long time really kind of doing the things that they should have done financially. And then that turned into the savings rate has plummeted again. But now these people have gotten raises that uh, have been rather significant. And so uh, while it, it does hit unevenly just by the nature of it, I'm curious, I'd be curious to see historically how inflation has hit lower income households this time versus other times, because I don't know that, that this, 
these government assistance has been typical in the past in inflationary events. Uh, and, and obviously those that came before the inflation, but it was all foreseeable if you were paying attention to that. So, uh, Tom, I know that you jumped on. Uh, I'm assuming you had a comment or question there. I wanted to give you a chance to, to share that. Thanks for, thanks for doing that. Uh, yeah, I just had, um, this this lines up and this is why i jumped onto this call um i am a reseller i am a flipper and uh, i primarily sell on ebay but we sell one brand of um lotions and perfumes exclusively on amazon because they're so expensive on amazon and um whenever i list stuff i put it at, at whatever it's selling for on amazon and we had these tiny little bottles of lotions that um i paid two dollars and 15 cents for um, they originally sold at the store for $4. And, um, if you buy it on eBay, you buy it for $13 and 28 cents. And then when I went and I listed it on Amazon and this is last month, they're $49.99. So I just threw it up. Nothing's really happened. And then today I was floored that somebody paid me $49.99 for a $2 bottle of lotion that they could just jump onto eBay and get for $13. I mean, it's hard to find them for $2 anymore because they are a discontinued item. But I, with this inflation that's happening, and, and, and when this happened, I called my mom and I'm like, you have to just stop buying stuff on Amazon because they are complacent. And they just, you know, this person who bought this from me, I know nothing about them besides that they just gave me $50 for a $2 bottle of lotion but you could have at least jumped onto eBay and bought it for $13. And, and people are just used to getting used to these higher prices and just forking over money. And I felt a ton of guilt as I packed up this lotion and shipped it out this evening. And I just, uh, it, it's hitting us, but are we really at that point where you're going to give me $50 for a lotion? I mean, some people are just kind of giving up and just, you know, taking what, what what's there. So I just kind of wanted to add my two cents with this just because this incident happened to me earlier today. Yeah, Tom, I think I saw recently that something like 49% of searches for items starts on Amazon. They don't even Google it first. They straight up start searching for products on Amazon. So that makes sense to me. They just trust that it's probably, you know, all competitive and they just go right on there and that's where they search for the lotion and that's where they buy it. It goes, it goes back to, sorry, I, I told you, Alex, I was going to let you speak, but it, it goes back to, we've never had to deal with this before. I think people just default to what they've always done and we'll continue to see that. I think, I don't think you're changing the habits of people uh, and, and maybe, maybe it has woken some people up. So Alex, go ahead. I think what makes this cycle of inflation unique, and it's a comment I wanted to throw out there, is that, yes, prices are increasing, but because of all the stimulus money, the wage increases, people have the money to be able to weather those increases, at least in the short term. So this is going to be a very unique and interesting period to look back at historically, because not only is there inflation, not only do we all accept that it's there, but we're willing to let it happen. I mean, if people were actually shopping prices and going for the low price, like that might actually help combat inflation a little bit. Cause you know, we're going to sure if you're going to raise prices, go for it, but we're going to fight you for every cent. You got to raise the prices, but that's not happening. 
people have this extra cash. So it's like, oh, what is it? $40, $50 for a $2 thing of lotion? Yeah, you, well, you know what? The news has been saying prices are going up. So, oh, well, I guess it's the new normal because they have that cash. If they were cash strapped, like other time we have a huge amount of inflation, they wouldn't be able to get away with that being so drastic. Yeah, I think that goes back to where I was talking earlier about that savings rate, right? That savings rate has plummeted. So we are at or already past the point where that be continuing to happen. So it'll be interesting to see as this continues to play out uh, how this inflation continues to fluctuate and move. So when you talk, talk about inflation, we've talked about a number of places that inflation has affected us personally and just the way it's affected uh, the market. But there's some amount of built-in inflation that is just uh, intentional in the financial markets. And so uh, we, we do that. That helps those that we've talked about that are investors, that helps those that are in different situations where they uh, can take advantage of excess returns on top of those that inflation, and it helps drive growth. So I want to talk a little bit about the effects of um, inflation. The, the main one that we focused on today was that it erodes purchasing power because it's costing people more money when they may not have seen wages rise near as much. Another one that you have is you you will see that inflation actually encourages spending and investing because you don't want to have cash sitting on the sidelines. And I think you've seen a lot of this talk. If you're on Twitter here all the time, you see people uh, talking about that consistently. Another one, and this is what I want to talk about, is you typically see interest rates rise on new debt. And so when when interest rates are rising, that makes that new debt more expensive. But that also helps the existing debt because your debt payment, your interest rate is fixed if you've got a fixed rate. And so that debt immediately becomes cheaper than what you'd previously had. And so when inflation is outpacing that interest rate, that is a positive for people that are in a position where they're either holding a home or holding rental properties uh, or any other type of business debt that is lower than that inflation rate. But I want to ask because we've seen a kind of unique situation here in that interest rates have not and do not look like they're going to be rising on new debt. And Every other period of inflation that there has been, interest rates have significantly risen and stuck around for quite a while after that inflation ended. Do any, does anyone on the panel have any thoughts on what that means and, and just kind of the way this is? And I'm uh, go ahead, uh, Clint, I guess. I think you're off. Yeah, sure. Sure. I'll jump in there. The, we are seeing the five-year and the 10-year bond rates rising. There was something I read today that indicated that the Fed is looking more hawkish and there potentially could be 
up to three rakes in 2022. So we are seeing indication that the forward guidance is rates rising. Now that may be rates rising to the bottom of where we were during COVID, where everybody dropped rates as low as they could. And one would have to ask, where is that relative to where we were two years ago? or where we have historically been, because the rates would still be low at that level, Curtis, uh, though it is moving up. My general philosophy on rates, there's just as much likelihood that something goes wrong, let's say a stock market bubble, and the Fed goes back to their tried and true, let's lower the rates to resolve this, because they're afraid to let the stock market fall, which is probably the wrong thing to do. They should probably ride it out, but I don't believe they will. I believe long-term we'll see rates stay low. Lauren, go ahead. You had your hand raised. Um, What I was going to say about low rates and how that helps with inflation is um, I had a man named Alan Corey, who has now become a friend of mine on my podcast recently. And he explained how debt combats inflation really well. And he used ice cream to do it. He was like, okay, so you can buy an ice cream cone now for $3, right? I can also pay $3 of my mortgage off with $3 right now. In 10 years, it's going to cost some dollars to buy that same ice cream cone, but it's still only going to cost $3 to get rid of $3 of my debt. So that's the idea of at least how he explained it to me. You know, you can pay off a dollar of your debt with a dollar now. You can pay off a dollar of your debt with a dollar in 10 years, and that dollar is worth half of what it is now, but that's still all you have to pay, right? So... Um, I just thought that was really interesting and a really good reason to use leverage and specifically real estate to combat inflation a little bit. And that's why the low rates are really helpful. Yeah, Lauren, that, that makes sense. That's a great, that's a great example. Going back to, to what Clint said, I, there are signals that they are raising those rates, but if you look uh, at the, Going back to the 1980s, when when that happened, the Fed funds rate was actually higher than that inflationary period. So, like if you, I'm, I just pulled up a chart right now, but like in 1980, inflation was 12.5 percent, and the Fed funds rate, which is what you know all of the the loan uh, rates are based off of, that's where these banks get many of their rates. Uh, they use different numbers, but that's one of them. Is eight was eighteen percent during that period. Currently, we're at a point. Well, I don't know what current is. I'm just looking at this, but we're under one percent, under half a percent Fed funds rate, and at six percent uh, inflation. So those numbers are are flip flopped of what they've typically been in these inflationaries, and so. While they do plan on raising rates, I they're they're still I don't know the exact number, but I don't think it's more than one percent. I think they're gonna they're gonna stair step it up, but I still think it's gonna stay extremely low. So it's it'll be a, a kind of new horizon on that front. But Alex, go ahead. 
I can tell y'all on the commercial banking side, we're seeing rates go up. Now, for us, I mean, 10 basis points can be a big thing. But, I mean, since probably the last year, we're up at least 25 basis points. And they're just inching up little by little. Not enough for people to really can you, feel it. Can yet. you explain basis points for non-banking people? Yes. So a basis point is a one hundredth of a percent. So one percent is a hundred basis points. So one basis point is point zero one percent. Ten basis points is point one percent. Yeah. Sorry. Thanks for pointing that out. I probably should have mentioned that beforehand. But we do all of our business on basis points. So uh, as forgive me, I think it was Clint that said it. We base a lot of our stuff off of the five-year or 10-year treasury, but that's the key word there is based on. Uh, I mean, how many times have you seen a movie that said based on a true story? I mean, based on means there's some tethering there, but we're able to go higher or lower as we really want to, because really interest rates are supply and demand. Uh, The Federal Reserve can do what they want, but then again, so can we. If we want to raise our own interest rates independently, we can and will. And that's what we're all seeing. I mean, you talk to any banker, at least any banker in my region, and we're all saying, hey, get a fixed rate loan. Or if you're going to get a loan, get it fixed rate and get it fixed for as long as humanly possible, because these rates aren't going to stay here for long. So obviously, commercial loan rates and the Federal Reserve rates are going to be different, but we're starting to get to the point where you want to be careful when you're saying, oh, we think rates are going to stay low because banks still need to hedge against inflation because we need to make sure our money isn't being devalued. So we have to loan at a higher dollar amount or at a higher interest rate. So I wanted to throw that idea out there for you guys, especially the real estate guys and gals out there. Yeah, that makes sense. Thanks. Thanks for sharing that, Alex. I want to ask a question of everyone as we move forward. What, just from, this is again, not, not final advice. This is personal, our personal opinions, just from our experiences, our unique places that we're all coming from. What are some things that going from this 6.4% that could happen or, or you think are happening that will make inflation worse and then i'll follow up we'll talk about what'll make it better after that but let's stick with what we uh what would make inflation worse and continue to rise uh i'll go first this supply and demand shortage i mean supply and demand is a problem everywhere whether that be semiconductors used cars uh homes especially starter homes i mean There is just a supply problem throughout the system. And if we don't have a focused effort on multiple fronts to get this fixed, it's the definition of inflation that any introductory uh, economics professor is going to tell you is too much money chasing too few goods. And right now, there's too much money and too few goods. Now, if we raise interest rates or the federal funds rate, the loan rates, whatever, that's going to fix the problem of too much money but unless we really start looking into the infrastructure and start looking at supply and start getting that back to normal it's just going to make this get worse yeah and on that on that front alex you look at you the things you mentioned there housing and then chips well chips 
have to do with basically every vehicle under the sun these days. So those are things that the lowest income people that are the people that are looking for a starter home, those shortages and the increasing price in vehicles are things that are going to directly hit their bottom line and impact their financial well-being going forward. Yeah, Curtis, I was, I was going to jump in here. You know, I think uh, to Alex's point as well, um, there's obviously, you know, a supply of, of jobs and opportunity out there with, with the, you know, lack of components, right, to buildings and raw materials. We also need labor to be able to manufacture and build a lot of that stuff. Um, so with essentially people quitting left and right, um, it's not giving companies the ability to to build to potentially meet, you know, this you know, pent up demand that many folks are feeling. Um, so I think that's certainly a, an attribute that's going to make inflation worse. Yeah, absolutely. Anyone else have any uh, thoughts on what what are some things that can make inflation worse that were already not mentioned here? Yeah, I'll, I'll jump in on that if you want. Oh, sorry. Uh, just getting instructions on where to go. The So what Alex was saying is very important. Uh, where I live is an example. The government tried to tackle housing pricing with demand side metrics in 2018 and 2019. So it did shut off buying, which meant pl- prices were flat for two years. But all it was doing was creating pent up demand because developers stopped uh, buying new dirt, stopped building homes. So there was no address underlying supply issue. So if we raise rates to get people to stop buying certain items, that will help stop inflation in the short term. But certain asset classes, depending on the geography, like real estate as an example, it will actually exacerbate the issue longer term so we might have flat prices for one or two years but then once the uh, rates are lowered for whatever reason and things start to return to normalcy you actually see oversized uh, impact on the economy so for example our real estate prices are up 40 percent since the start of covid So if you had a million dollar house, it's now $1.4 million and raising interest rates is not going to lower that long-term. Yeah, that makes, that makes sense. When, when we talk about this inflationary event and, and we've, we've kind of, we kind of hit on both of the, what can make it better? Well, I mean, what can make it worse and then what can make it better I'm curious if anyone has any predictions, again, non-professionally, non, uh, not any sort of recommendation of, of when we could expect to see the inflation subside and go back into a normal range. I think that what may end up happening. And again, this is my non-professional opinion, just what I, what I think may end up. This is, honestly, it's probably might be my biggest fear, but also the path I think we're going is we have too much money and too few goods. So something's going to happen 
whether it be a stock market crash or interest rates are going up to combat inflation and that's going to something's going to knock over these dominoes and we're going to probably end up in a maybe a definitely a recession, maybe a depression, who knows. We're probably going to bounce back decently quick. But I'm thinking we need like a hard reset to get us kind of back to normal here cuz I mean, theoretically right now, there are, what was the statistic? I'm sure someone will correct me, but there are more open jobs right now than there are people on unemployment or unemployed people. So, I mean, theoretically, we could end unemployment like tomorrow, but people aren't going to do that. And if they did, you have more people making money, which are then spending money which is only going to make inflation go up. You have me chasing too few goods. Then you have the counterbalance of everyone working and therefore fixing the supply chain issue. It's a race for which one's going to, you know, which end of the snake is going to eat the other one first. But Alex, I I always question that one because the first thing we have to look at is which of the measures of unemployment is that referring to? Largely because we tend not to factor in the people that aren't looking for jobs, right? Which can be a very big part of the population. And so what what measure of unemployment are we referring to relative to the number of open jobs that are available? Yeah, that is a very good point. And that's true. But again, this is just my uh, supposition, just what I'm looking at. I'm thinking a recession is the hard reset that's going to end up fixing everything because we have a federal reserve that seems to no longer be looking out for the future of, they can't get out of what's going to happen this year or next year, which they're appointed to, what is it? 14 year terms as governors of the federal reserve because they need to have that long-term vision. I'm not seeing long-term vision from them. I'm seeing here's how we get through the next 12 months, the next 18 months. And I think because they're looking short term, we're going to get hit with something that, you know, oh, well, we did this to save us in the short term. Well, long term, that thing came back to bite us. So I'm thinking something systemic is going to come hit us. That's an that's an interesting take. And I think as we as we talk about this, you're talking about supply issues and this is going to be around until supply issues are fixed. And what I find interesting and maybe a little bit depressing, and this is maybe uh, just my personal opinion here, but uh, we are seeing more uncertainty than we've ever seen before, but consumer spending is up more than we've ever seen before. So you would have hoped and thought that something like a pandemic, that something like a once in a lifetime event would cause people to reevaluate the way that they're approaching it. And just as personal finance people here that are interested in this realm, you would have thought it would have redirect in reframing the way that they build their lives and, and their relationship with money. But it appears that that has not happened at all because despite all of this, it, it goes back to that savings rate, all that money that was saved is now gone back into the world. And I think that's what stopped us from this recession, right? It's because people's willingness to just spend without uh, the plan for the future. But it's also what could cause the, the next thing, which is what you're talking about, uh, 
talking about there, Alex. So to transition here, unless we have someone that wants to add any other piece to that, you can jump in real quick. But if not, I wanted to wrap this up with kind of one last piece. And if we have any questions or any thoughts from, from people that are out there, you can request the mic or uh, you can, uh, or if Lauren has stuff, she can jump in and we can, we can talk about those uh, here in a minute and, and you can send that to her via DM. But what ways, what are some ways that we can personally counteract inflation in our lives? So I want to get very practical with these responses and uh, want to hear from the panel on this. Well, I'll be the first one to jump in. Uh, I was trying not to be. I, I sweaty the, mo- the monologue guy here. But, uh, I mean, I'm glad you mentioned it, but there was that article, or rather versions of that article that keeps coming out, that's like, hey, we have historic inflation, but people are spending, spending, spending. Well, if you think about it, if if there's inflation, the dollar becomes worth less. Therefore, stuff becomes worth more. So depending on what you're purchasing, spending your money or not having cash might be the win. But I, I do want to propose this because I do see a lot of, oh, you know, tra- cash is trash. Or if you have cash, inflation's going to kill you, yada, yada, yada. And I also don't want to be the fear mongering guy here. But say hypothetically, someone out here in the audience thinks that, you know, we're going to have a stock market crash. We're going to have a housing market crash. If you believe something negative is going to happen in the future. The question you need to ask yourself is, do I want to take the potentially 5% inflation for the next three, five, however long you think it is years? Or do I want to take the 40, 50% stock market drop or 50% housing market drop, whatever. So I'm not saying that cash is a good place to be, but if you're of the opinion that we're going to have some kind of crash, some kind of depression, some kind of prices drop, and you have cash, which is also going to experience a drop. But if it drops less, that might be something to consider. So invest, get yourself into these assets, which are inflating. Or if you want to have cash and have that safety net, be aware that you're going to get a bite taken out of you from inflation and that money is going to be worth less. But having that cash is still having cash. And you might be able to actually take advantage of any kind of price decrease. I tend to try to focus on the upside of the opportunities. So for me, that looks like buying as much real estate as I can, getting as much long-term debt at these ridiculously low rates as I can, and sorry, sorry about that, and putting as much of that debt into fixed rate as I possibly can. So uh, instead of having variable rate, even though it's great, uh, focusing on fixing debt. I said this before, but I'm going to say it just for a second here. Coming from a banker, if you are going to get debt and that is the decision you want to make, get fixed and get fixed for as long as humanly possible. Yeah, that's certainly what my husband and I are doing, right? You want to buy things that are going to appreciate. That's pretty much, you know, real estate, 
and also you know obvious stocks other things like that but we also are going for basically as much you know mortgage as we can have um within reason right but i mean currently we we have two properties right now we're under contract for a third that's going to bring us to 12 doors um the six that we have right now one of our rates is 299 and one is um 325 um our next one is going to be five percent because it's like semi-commercial but i'll take it um so you know it's just but five percent which we thought was kind of high like six months ago we first started looking at this property um it's lower than the rate of inflation right now even so um that's what we're doing. You know, that whole ice cream example that I used a little bit ago is what we are doing to combat the inflation. I want to I want to throw out a, a counterpoint to our to our banking representative. The it, it all depends on what rate you can get and where it's going. So I'm putting getting a new mortgage, refinancing a property right now to get as much debt on it as I can. Uh, which will allow us to close on a couple properties come, in, uh, come April that we have under contract, uh, two townhouses. And so I'm refinancing one townhouse, five-year mortgage, and I'm choosing the variable rate option because I will be at a rate of 1.4%. And so I look at it and say, okay, prime in my country is 2.45, and rates will have to go up more than 100 basis points before off and I'm comfortable taking that risk so understand what rates are available to you understand what the risk of rising rates during inflation is I don't think the answer is always lock in I think you have to look at your unique scenario and what opportunities are available to you and if you believe that the rates will not go up as much as uh, required for you to be worse off, then it may be reasonable to uh, stay variable in some of your products. That's a good point. I thanks for thanks for sharing that, um, Clint. Uh, Justin, did you have anything to add on that? Anything personally that you guys are trying to do? No, I, I think for us, um, you know, just to echo what the the rest of the panel said is, you know, we're personally still on our plan from a dollar cost averaging and, and monthly investment perspective, um, just to address at least our position when it comes to, you know, our, our cash position, it, it, it's really, you know, an emergency fund perspective. Uh, you know, I've said on my podcast, you know, what, what triggered our financial journey was, you know, a personal layoff that I experienced. So um, that, that's very unique to me, but, you know, there's a psych- psychological benefit for us holding that cash. And, you know, for us, we're willing to you know, go through this quote unquote transitory inflationary period, um, holding, you know, a certain level of cash just strictly for a peace of mind for, for me and my family. But we're still at a position where we're still investing in, uh, you know, positive appreciating assets like the stock market um, just because, you know, we, we, you know, I'm in my mid thirties and we still got a long time um, to invest. So it, it'll be, see, it'll be uh, tackle what everybody else has been saying. It'll be interesting to see, uh, as we look back on 2021 or this period, you know, 10 years from now, what, uh, what we'll comment on. It, so. Yeah, for me personally, we have been kind of in an interesting spot uh, when it comes to inflation. Uh, we had originally planned on purchasing a car uh, in early 2020. 
Uh, and so we had started that car search, uh, but then things took off running. And so we had, we had put that car search on hold. And so we've, we've been in this holding pattern so that we had a amount of cash that we had saved for the car, though I don't know that we were going to use that cash to purchase based off the interest rate situation. We were going to kind of play it by ear. Um, and then we have cash set aside because of my job situation. I've had a potential uh, future um, ownership stake that I might be taking. And I did not want to get that money tied up into a stock market where there was the potential for the drop. And so I'm sitting on more cash than I would like to admit because it's, it's painful how much cash I've had to have sitting on the side here uh, as we go through this situation. But as is typically, we have, you know, the, the main ways that you see to combat inflation are going to be investing in the stock market purchasing a home if you if uh, versus having to continue to pay rent if you're in a situation where you can do that because you're able to lock that in and I think while home prices are going up now with the supply shortage of starter homes I don't see that slowing down uh, I, I see that continuing to go up and this this is again just a personal opinion I just think it's in we're in a situation right now where uh, when you have the cost of building going up, when there's already a shortage, it makes it that much more for these builders to to build. Um, other more practical things that you can that you can do is is I would put off you know other big purchases that you have, like we've done with our with our vehicle. Uh, the the other one is like if you don't need a new refrigerator, you don't need a TV, like wait for these inflationary events to be over because prices will go and they will normalize. Um, but when you're talking about all our purchases, when you have the cash and money available, it may make more sense if you know that you're going to have to make purchases on a regular to go ahead and make those purchases. So it's for us strategically, it's looked like delaying some of those really big purchases to see where things are excluding the home purchase. We don't, we're not making that, but, and then kind of stockpiling a little bit more, not, you know, not to where we're going and clearing out the shelf, but keeping more than we normally would. So that we've essentially got ourselves a lead time on that so that we don't have to buy. If there's an extreme spike that we have a period of time that we can hold out and be able to weather that extreme spike if that spike is there. Uh, and then, then kind of one last piece that that is of that is, you know, there's gonna be uh, there's gonna be big items that are gonna happen if your washer goes out. Um, well, maybe you know, you know, maybe you don't buy a new washer, but if you've got to have a washer, you've got to have a dishwasher, you got to have a refrigerator. Um, I wouldn't cheap out on those because what could end up with cheaping out is those things could break down. And then if they break down, then you're going to be purchasing a new one, uh, buy something that's going to last, you know, for a long period of time, because when it lasts for a long period of time, you're, um, you're kind of spreading that out over, over a longer period. And that, that number is not going to be that big. When you get 10 years down the road, you're going to look at the cost per year and, it's going to look minuscule compared to what you're paying on a new.
last, I see Tom here. Uh, hustle, hustle your way to to finding unique ways to buy things. There's there's uh, so many ways that we have at our fingertips now. Buy the fifty dollar perfume or lotion. I think that was like like Tom's example earlier. Uh, go search and shop for those things. Don't just do the first thing you see like we've had the tendency to do for years and years because we just think, well, Amazon's got the best price. So those are some more practical, uh, low, low bar, you know, day-to-day tips that we can, we can do. And I'll add one more thing. And this, this is something that uh, people just need to do in general is if a job situation where you know your company is not struggling, like just go ask for a raise. Period. Just just go ask for a raise. People are afraid to ask for raises. And very few times do people get fired for asking for a raise. And if you get fired for asking for a raise, we've already talked about the amount of jobs that are open. You should you're gonna be able to find a job and you're maybe gonna be able to make more money than you're making anyways. So be willing to ask for a raise. Go do your research, figure out your market rates, uh, come up with some points uh, and counterpoints that you can take into your boss and go give them uh, this information to digest. Let them know what you're talk- coming to talk about and be bold and say, I think I need a raise because of inflation, because the market rate is higher than where I am now. And I think I'm this level of performer be willing to to have that boldness because it's the people who have that intuition who are going to weather that the most as we go forward. Uh, Alex, do you got a comment or question? I just want on the get a raise front, I just wanted to share a short story here. So we just so there are five analysts in my region that do credit underwriting like what I do. Well, one of us just got a promotion to go to another branch, and we're trying to hire a newest. They put out the application, and 14 people applied for the role. All 14 applied, or all 14 got interviewed. Uh, turns out, at the end of the day, none of them were qualified to get the job. I have that I was a that was at another bank looking to get at another position. She posted her resume on LinkedIn. I saw it, put in a word with my boss, forwarded it to her. Now, this girl who has, I mean, honestly, a couple years less experience than I do is making uh, within $2,000 of what I make. So rates are getting incredible. She all kinds of bonuses and, hey, let's get you up here. Hey, do you want to work from home laptop? Do you, how much do you want to work from home? We'll make that happen. Like companies are bending over backwards because not only do they need people and there's a supply shortage of labor, uh, they, they need to, they're raising those prices because not only do they need to get those people, but the wages by default are going up. So if you can't get that raise at your company, shop around, put out your resume, go on LinkedIn, see who's hiring. Like if your company won't give you a raise, I guarantee you the next company down the street will. Yeah, that's, that's a great point. And, and to add to that, what you're talking about with work from home or do, you know, uh, or, or look for other avenues to get that raise because they may not be able to raise you outside of a band, but they may be able to provide you with, with another sort of benefit. You never know if you, 
if you don't just initiate the conversation, you can do it with humility. You, you don't need to go in there with brashness. You just need to uh, let them know what you're thinking and then leave it in their, the ball in their court. Uh, when it comes to working from home for those that, that don't have that option now, uh, I'm actually in that boat, but I'm not, I'm not looking to change that or not going to be able to change that. But if, if that's something that you desire and there's not that arrangement at your workplace, the best way to go about that is to ask for a temporary uh, thing. And then what you do, and I, and Tim Ferriss talks about this, but ask, say, Hey, can I just, I got this stuff going on. Um, I'm having a hard time being productive at work. Uh, because of these distractions. I actually did this in my previous job. I said, hey, I'm having a hard time. There's just too many people coming to me with requests, too many people with access. Can I take one day a week that I'm out of the office, working out of the office? This was before COVID, before any of this. And I made that request. I got that request filled. And it was just a temporary solution at first. And then it was, what you do is you don't slack off now that you're out of the office, right? Right. You actually work your butt off even harder and you want to be able to come back with physical, like with results, with documented results of what you were able to do out of the office. And then you're able to prove to them, not only was I productive out of the office, I was more productive. So if you're able to show that you're more productive, now, now you're able to use that to negotiate, hey, well, since I was more productive, can we make this one day a week permanent? And then after a period of time, you know, of, of one day a week, you say, hey, you know, if you've continued to provide those results, you've continued to document this, you then go back and say, hey, can this, you know, can we make this two days or what, what are our options? How, how can we arrange this um, as we go forward? So those are things to consider as you continue to look for ways to counteract inflation on a day-to-day basis. So uh, if, anyone else uh, has anything to add uh, any additional comments or things that we want to not we can go ahead and uh, wrap this spaces up so I'll give you guys one more second okay well I appreciate everyone did, Clint, Curtis, go did, ahead. did anyone in the did anyone in the audience have any questions uh, Lauren, I don't think there were last time up. I asked. Um, I don't see any at the moment and we didn't get any requests. So yeah, if anyone has any, you know, wants to jump on the mic to make a comment or ask questions, feel free to do that, uh, before we wrap up right here. So I don't see anyone doing that. Um, so we will just end it right here. I want to thank everyone for taking the time to jump on this spaces today. Uh, it's been a good time. We did this two weeks ago. Um, I'm just letting everyone know we, I'm going to be posting that podcast episode uh, tomorrow. I had some technical difficulties. I was trying to post it quicker. And then I'll be posting this one early next week on my feed as well. So if you caught this late, you'll be able to, to hear the discussion about inflation uh, so I want to thank you for, for stopping by. We're going to be doing this again uh, next Saturday, December 11th at 9.30 Eastern. And then in two weeks, we'll be back here on Thursday evening, December 16th at 8.30 uh, 
p.m. Eastern time. So thank you again for joining us. Thank you for the whole All right. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. As we say here on the Delve Into Money podcast, healthy financial decisions are intentional financial decisions. Intentional decisions this week lead to a healthy financial future. Start today and we'll see you next week.